0: Will you take your Bible, please, and uh, meet me in Acts chapter 5? Have you ever been around someone or heard of someone who does something so impressive that it inspires you on one hand, and puts you to shame on the other. Let me give an example. True story. Last year, a man named Glenn Avery, a professor at Houghton College in New York, made history by becoming the oldest person in the world to attempt and complete the World Marathon Challenge. How many have heard of this? The World Marathon Challenge is to run seven marathons on all seven continents in seven days. (laughs) True thing. This is a true thing. And last February, Glenn Avery accomplished this incredible feat. In just one week, he logged nearly 43,000 flight miles and ran over 183 miles of ground, beginning in Antarctica, to South America, to North America, to Europe, to Africa, to Asia before finishing in Australia. Seven marathons, seven continents, seven days. And if that's not already impressive, he did this at 66 years old. So let's talk about your goals for the year. (laughs) Inspired and convicted. Inspired by those who do such things, yet also convicted because we tend to limit what can be done. Limits that aren't always from God. I have that same response when I read church history and hear stories of men and women who trust in God, whose whose trust in God propels them forward toward great gospel victories. I have that reaction when I read about people in Scripture And in fact, I had that response this week as I read through Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, we see the power of God present in the people of God as they overcome persecution by the world to advance the gospel. We read of miraculous signs and wonders. We read of jealousy and opposition Divine deliverance, intimidation through interrogation, this resolved obedience to God, threats, beatings, followed by joy and the continual proclamation of Jesus. Back and forth it goes between the people of God and persecution. From the world, and through it all, the gospel gains victory after victory as more and more of the lost are saved to Christ. And here's the point those who share in the life of Christ by proclaiming the gospel of Christ find a joy, find a kind of joy. That deepens even when suffering for his name. And so let's read this passage together. Acts chapter 5. You can follow along with me. I'm going to begin at verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of them, both men and women, so that even And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. Well, He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, they meaning the apostles. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not ceasing, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray together. Our great God, we thank you again for your word. We pray that you would open our ears, that we might hear your voice this morning. Would you make ready our hearts That we might receive what you have for us today. Would you prepare our minds that we might be transformed by the renewing of your word? Would you cause your word to have its way in our lives so that we may be both hearers and doers of it. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, the Christ. Amen. Remember that, remember from last week, from our last passage, remember that judgment had come upon the church, judgment had come on the church two of its members Ananias and Sapphira were living in hypocrisy and had conspired against the Lord heart of heart and unwilling to repent they were they were struck dead by God which as you can imagine just sent shock waves through the congregation And throughout Jerusalem, as great fear, we're told, verse eleven of chapter five, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's possible the believers wondered if this meant the end of God's blessing. They had participated in the miracle of Pentecost, uh, in the miraculous healing of the man at the temple. And the church had been growing consistently, but now, now judgment had come. Would they ever again experience those moments of great blessing? And what follows is, a remo- is, a, is just a resounding yes as God's power and presence came through in remarkable ways. Picking up in verse 12, the apostles are ministering to the people of Jerusalem in spectacular fashion. All 12 apostles were together, it seems, in that portion of the temple called Solomon's Portico. However, apparently, none of the other believers dared join them just yet uh, according to verse thirteen, probably because they were still reeling from the Ananias Sapphira episode, nevertheless, the general populace of Jerusalem, also aware of what occurred, were told they held them and they held the apostles in high esteem, and signs and wonders were happening regularly. The streets you, you just kind of have to put yourself there the streets. Teemed with, with commotion as people carried their sick on cots and mats. The crowds were thick with anticipation. Some positioned themselves strategically along the road thinking that, 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 that even Peter's shadow had healing power. If, if, if even just his shadow would fall upon them, who knows? Maybe that would be enough to heal our various illnesses. This was a unique time of miraculous healing and such miracles at this time in the life of the church were God's way of authenticating the apostles and their apostolic ministry. It was unique to that time in church history. Not that God no longer performs such miracles. He does. But but that, but that, that kind of apostolic authentication is no longer necessary. Uh, you know, Ephesians 2.20 says the apostles and, and prophets laid the foundation for the church. Well, just two chapters later in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that pastors and teachers and evangelists are now building upon that foundation. And because uh, seeing the risen Jesus is necessary for apostleship, Uh, the office of apostle no longer exists in the church today. When I was in Zambia last summer, I unintentionally, I promise this was, Jim can testify, I, I unintentionally caused quite a stir among the pastors, at least some of them. Because some were claiming to have apostolic authority. Some claim to have unique, divine insight and power from God, which they use to prop themselves up in positions of prominence, not unlike our health and wealth prosperity teachers in our land. And so when I shared that the scripture what the scripture says about apostles that unless you have seen the risen Christ in bodily form you cannot claim apostleship some took offense. And the the the, the other men I just have to say So gracious in their handling of these things. Firm on one hand and full of grace on the other. But what the true apostles were doing here in Acts was not drawing attention to themselves but rather calling people to faith in Christ. More than ever... Did you catch that? More than ever... Believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of them. Both men and women. As he does in his gospel... And now here in Acts, Luke takes special care to note the prominence of women and their relation to Christ and the church, which is significant, I think, particularly in a, in a patriarchal society in which he was writing. Both men and women were coming to Christ in droves. The church grew in number as never before. People from neighboring towns were also being reached. Jesus said to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, and that is now happening as the gospel is beginning to spread. But as the church grew, so did the opposition against it. Verse 17 says, "...the high priest and all who were with him overcome by jealousy had the apostles arrested and thrown into prison." Now listen, arrested not because they were breaking any laws or hurting anyone or posing a threat to the people, but arrested out of jealousy and not jealous in the best sense of the word, like being jealous for truth or jealous for righteousness or or jealous for a person's best interests. No, the authorities were jealous of the apostles because the apostles were gaining a following. And jealous of Jesus, to whom more and more people were pledging allegiance. You know, one of the most powerful forces for evil is jealousy. Jealousy has caused more conflict than we even realize. Jealousy can break a friendship and bring a nation to war. Jealousy destroys relationships and poisons the soul. And here, the leading clergy of the day were opposed to the most significant movement in history at that time, yet because it wasn't their doing, they're jealous. Jealousy was why the apostles were arrested and imprisoned, and yet God met them there in that dark place. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I love, I love, I love how the angel refers to this life. Speak to the people all the words of this life. To the life of Christ. And to life in Christ. In church, the instruction for the apostles applies as much to us as it did to them. Speak to them all the words of this life. Go and tell the people about this life. Tell them about the life of Jesus. Tell about his life among us, about his death for us about His resurrection from the dead and how He lives to this very day. Tell them how to share in this life. Tell them about life in Christ. Tell them the reason why Christ came and lived and died. To seek the lost and to save the sinner. Tell them about the destructive nature of sin, that it destroys the soul that is created for God, Tell about the separation that sin brings, that it's a wedge between us and God. Tell about the fatal consequence of sin, that if left to itself, it will lead to death and eternal condemnation. Yes, tell them about why Christ came and lived and died, but also why he rose again triumphant from the dead. Tell about the full payment for sin made on the cross that when Jesus died, our sins died with him. When Jesus was buried, our past was buried with him. And when Jesus was raised, new life became a reality for anyone who places their trust in him. Tell them about God's love and grace and mercy so they can share in this life with you. If the apostles were freed from their imprisonment specifically to speak about such things, are we not freed from sin's bondage for anything less? So back to the temple they went. Empowered by God. And they continued teaching and testifying to this life. And the next morning, as the Jewish council gathered, they were astonished to learn that the apostles weren't in their cell as expected. One of the officers said, in paraphrase, you just kind of have to picture, I don't know if this is how it went down, but this is the way I picture it. So you got this I don't know, this guard, captain. Go get the apostles. Bring them out here. And so he goes, and they're not there. And he comes back, and he says, um, So yeah, the, the guys we threw in that cell, uh, they're not there. but the, the door is still locked and the guards are still there. And then while the high priests and the, the captain are trying to piece this together, someone else comes in and says, hey, you know those guys we threw into prison last night? Uh, I, I just saw them and they're actually back in the temple teaching and preaching just as before and i and i think that there's a reminder here for us a reminder that god is in control and calling the shots while the enemies of god are constantly one step behind and scratching their heads and so again they send for the apostles and arrest the apostles And the apostles appear, notice, under their own volition. They're not kicking and screaming. They're not fighting back. They appear under their own volition. Uh, The officers required no force in bringing them in. And they set them before the council. And immediately, the high priest uh, began his diatribe. You know, we strictly charged you. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet, here you are filling Jerusalem with your teaching and you want to put his blood on us. <laughs> oh, isn't this convenient? Wasn't it just not that long ago when they welcomed responsibility for Christ's blood? Right? I mean, when, 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 when they were before Pontius Pilate, And you remember that scene where Pilate found no no guilt in Jesus, and then he kind of actually washes his hands, symbolically of just washing his hands of the matter, claiming to be innocent of Christ's blood, these very same authorities answered in unison, His blood be on us and on our children. And but now, but now they no longer have the crowd behind them. They're no, and they're hearing reports of Jesus being raised from the dead and how people are coming to faith in Jesus by the thousands and they're backpedaling. And they're trying to find some way of escaping responsibility. But the apostles won't have it. And though told not to speak in the name of Christ, they answer, listen, we must obey God rather than men. And it's not that man-made laws don't matter. They do. And God tells us, church, to have a posture of just a general posture of submission to our earthly authorities, to our governing bodies, just this general posture of submission But when laws are enacted that clearly oppose God's law, we must obey God. I thought about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Remember them? The king's law commanded them to bow to him, to worship him, to hail him as God or else. But they answered and said to the king, Teenagers, youth, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, If the or else comes true, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from your hands. But even if he won't deliver us, O King, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know the story. The king just grew furious and he threw them into the fire and God met them in that furnace and delivered them. But even if they had not been delivered, they were willing to stand by their convictions in obedience to God, knowing that, that even death itself could not keep them from His love. And that's where Peter and the others Are in this scene, in that place of absolute trust in the love of God. If loving God and God's law meant disobeying man's law, and if disobeying man's law meant persecution, so be it. They made their allegiance known, and with basically nothing to lose, I love this, they began proclaiming Christ to the members of the council. They said, God has raised Jesus, whom they murdered, whom you murdered. (laughs) God has exalted Jesus to his right hand, to that, that place of power and authority. God has appointed Jesus to be leader and Savior. And God, they said in verse 31, God is offering forgiveness to those who repent. This is just amazing grace. Although the authorities were responsible for crucifying Jesus, God in His love would forgive them if they simply turned from their sinful ways to go the way of Jesus instead. And let me say to you, dear loved ones, if they could be forgiven their sins, which included conspiring against the Lord and crucifying Him, you can most certainly be forgiven of yours. But you must turn from living a life apart from Christ To instead, entrust your life to his care. He is both leader and savior. Leader here means author, captain, prince. Savior refers to the one who rescues and delivers. Jesus then not only rescues from sin and condemnation, he also leads into a new way of life. He is Lord. But unlike so many earthly kings, Jesus doesn't lord over you with only his interests in mind. Instead, he he takes your needs into account and delivers you from that way of life that leads only to death, and He guides you into life everlasting. And this is the essence of what Peter and the others proclaimed that day. They spoke from experience. They were witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, they said, whom God gives to those who 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 obey him and so they proclaimed Christ from without while the holy spirit testifies from within in other words in other words if you hear if as you hear my words this morning you sense something happening inside of you It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God ministering to you, drawing you to Himself, calling you to trust in Christ. And as you come to that place of full surrender to Jesus, God will give you His Spirit to be with you and to help you. Do not be hard of heart. like the council members were here already jealous they became enraged and they wanted to kill him right on the spot right on the spot until a Pharisee named Gamaliel or Gamaliel I'm I've heard both pronunciations. He enters the scene. Now I just again, God is in control. And here he's using an enemy of God to accomplish his purposes. This Pharisee, he he was just widely respected. Just widely respected. Apparently, he was the grandson of the famous Rabbi Hillel. In fact, as we will learn later in Acts chapter 22, he's the one who mentored Saul of Tarsus before Saul came to Christ to become the Apostle Paul. So this is the dude. This is the guy. This is the man. and he offers some perspective by reminding the council of other religious leaders from the past. uh, He reminds them of of Theodos and Judas the Galilean and their respective followers. Like Jesus, he said, each of these men had a following, and yet little does he know, unlike Jesus, when, when they died, their followers dispersed and nothing came of it. Basically, his counsel was to ride it out. Don't stir the pot or make matters worse. Just give it time because if this so-called Christian movement is of human origin, it's destined to fail. It will fail. It will. It will fail. And he's right. He's right. But if it is of God, there is no stopping it. And he's right. And a strange twist of irony, this widely respected Pharisee, this great rabbi, though not a believer in Jesus, inadvertently made the case for Jesus. Over 2,000 years later, Christianity continues to take new ground as more and more people come to realize that Jesus is who He said He is. And the following gets larger and larger and larger. The gospel of Christ has come to us precisely because it is of God and God's work cannot be stopped. Persuaded. The council decides not to kill the apostles, but warn them once more. However, before releasing them, they beat them. Now, the the language, the language here, if you look at the the Greek, and I don't know Greek, but I have computer software that tells me Greek. (laughs) the language is eerily similar to the beating that beat Jesus endured on the night prior to his crucifixion in fact it's it's actually the word for flogged and so it's very possible even likely that these men were whipped flogged 40 lashes minus 1 And I just wonder if they recalled the words Jesus spoke on that night of his betrayal when he said if the world hates you know that it's hated me first if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And then later, again, in that night, he said, I've said these things to you so you can have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart I have overcome the world. How would you respond were you in their shoes? What would you do if you were arrested, beaten, Flogged, threatened simply for telling other people about Jesus and the life in Jesus. Look with me at verse forty one. And then they left the presence of the council. What's what's that next word? Rejoicing. Then they left the presence of the council. Rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about when I refer to those whose example inspires me and puts me to shame at the same time. When I, when I hear of these men and others like them, I am incredibly inspired Because I share in the same life they do. But have I laid it on the line like they have? Have you? And what more shall I say? The book of Hebrews asks rhetorically. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of their weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back Uh, from the dead they received back their dead by, by resurrection and without batting an eye some were tortured refusing to accept release did not receive what was promised. In other words, by faith they trusted God even when facing persecution and even though they didn't see God's promises being fulfilled in their lifetimes. For us, however... For those who live on this side of redemptive history, we're told all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. No wonder the apostles didn't cease teaching that Jesus is the Christ. Undeterred by persecution, they continued every day. Every day. At the temple they spoke of Jesus. At home and from house to house, they shared Jesus. In public and private, and they taught how Jesus is the one sent from God. He is the Christ. He is the one in whom all our hopes lie. Ever since the fall, humanity has longed for the Christ, the Savior, the one God promised, and Jesus is that promise fulfilled. Why did they count themselves worthy to suffer for His name? Because something greater than the fear of persecution had grabbed hold of them. Because they saw themselves as part of something much bigger than themselves. Because they knew the One who gave them life, a new kind of life that that comes with new purpose. You see, the cause of Christ had gripped their hearts and thus they were proclaiming his name even in the face of fierce opposition, rejoicing to share in his suffering. And history reveals how the gospel. Has advanced by the power of God through the lives of such people. Everyday people like us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God moves in powerful ways. And persecution intensifies. As persecution intensifies, God's people are empowered even more, which arouses even more opposition. And this pattern continues through the book of Acts, throughout church history, and to this very day. We who share in this life today, will we be counted worthy to suffer for the name if that's what it comes to. It doesn't mean we're going to look for trouble. We're not looking for suffering. But are we willing to stand our ground and preach Christ even under the threat of death? May God grant us Grace to boldly, faithfully, joyfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. For as Peter will later say in his New Testament epistle, For to this you've been called. Because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example. That you might follow in his steps. Amen. Amen. God, we do pray for grace this morning. We thank you for those who've gone before us. We thank you for their example. We thank you for the tremendous inspiration they are to us today. We thank you for the way you use them to propel your church forward. And we pray that, that, uh, that these things would not be lost on us this morning, that they'd be not, be not lost on me. And so would you make us uh, even greater worshipers of God and even greater witnesses For Christ, for His name's sake, and for one gospel victory after another, after another, for as long as you tarry. Amen.